Hello, my name is Hayley Walsh. I hail from Sydney and I write light-hearted fiction. I have two books available on Australian book lovers titled Making March and Crayons and Chaos. Us Aussies don't tend to take ourselves too seriously and that's why I love to write funny stories that make people laugh. When I'm not writing, I can be found in my day job as a nurse, reading, spending quality time with my wonderful partner, playing with my two adorable cavoodle puppies or wrangling my two boisterous stepsons. Once upon a time, welcome to Australian Book Lovers, your destination for imagination. A big, warm welcome to everyone and a huge thank you for joining us for episode four of the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Our mission is to bring fabulous Australians and Indigenous literature that spans a whole range of genres to book lovers around the globe, as well as fantastic resources and information for passionate authors looking to write their next bestseller. My name is Darren Kesenko, sci-fi and horror author, reader and one of your hosts and co-founder of Australian Book Lovers. And I'm Veronica Strachan, fantasy and picture book writer, reader, and your other co-founder and host, and coming to you today from Wurundjeri country in Victoria. And myself, I'm coming from corner country here in South Australia. Unlike our last episode, not so sunny today, but still Uh, nice and warm, which is always good. Well, we've got sunshine today, so uh, you can be jealous of me for a change. Well, jealous (laughs) maybe for the next hour. Yes, yes. You've taught me about Melbourne's changing weather. Yeah, that was a foolish thing. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are, Veronica, episode four. I'm excited. It's been just so interesting chatting to all the authors. And, you know, I loved the last episode listening to, you know, Dale and all the talk about um, all the range of things that she's written about, particularly Antarctica. I love that. But anyway, a new episode. Absolutely. Not just a new episode. Uh, it is a, a new trial for trying a little bit of established format for the podcast. Uh, we're yes. going to try new things and see what fits and what doesn't. And obviously, if anybody has feedback out there, we would love to hear it. But we will be starting right now with one of our new features that we hope will become regular, and that is our news section. So we'll get to some news. So news for uh, us is mostly coming from a fabulous website that I'm a member of, which is Books Plus Publishing. Um, You do need a subscription to look at all of the articles, but it's well worth it. So um, Books and Publishing is basically inside the Australian, Australian and New Zealand book industry. So not exclusively the news that we'll bring you. And we'll try and do things that are a bit more... Um, generic rather than time data because of course people will be listening to the podcast you know in a few months ago damn it I miss that but we will give you the the clues about where they are one thing I wanted to mention which looks fantastic is um, UQP which is the University of Queensland Press they're looking to publish an anthology of indigenous speculative fiction okay yeah in collaboration with Curie and Lebanese writer Michaela Saunders she's going to curate and edit the collection so there's a call out on her website um, and her website is uh, Michaela Saunders M-Y-K-A-E-L-A-S-A-U-N-D-E-R-S dot com 
and uh, you can have a bit of a look and there is a Blackfella speculative fiction. So any of our listeners um, who meet those criteria, jump on in because, hey, just fantastic to get more speculative fiction anthologies, let's be honest. So that was one news to share. And the other one that I thought was quite interesting was it's not a recent one. It's an article from August 2019, but it's about judging a book by its cover. Oh, okay. This sounds interesting. And given that we ask our authors to put their covers on show and often readers do judge a book by its cover, I know I do, and if I see something that doesn't quite match, I think, oh, yeah, no, I won't do that one. But if we can get the cover to get us in, then that's fantastic. This was an article written by um, Jane Curry, and she is the founder and publisher of Sydney-based Ventura Press. So what Jane was suggesting was that the biggest influence on design trends this decade has been Instagram. So she really? goes, yeah, she goes along to chat a little bit about um, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, the LP record covers of her youth and the book cover is actually consumable art. And I think, oh, that's, that's really good. And it kind of appeals to our sense of aesthetics. And also then, you know, the cover of the book kind of positions it in the marketplace so that if it's got a robot on, chances it's a sci-fi. If it's got a couple on it, chances are there's some kind of romance or adventure happening. So what she says is that you need to look at your bookshelf. So what are other people in your genre looking at and what are readers buying? So if you look at the top 10 and your cover doesn't look anything like them, maybe have a bit of a rethink. That's not to say that an individual could stand out because it is different, but it's certainly worth, you know, having a look. So she says then on the other hand, the best cover designs often don't follow a trend and, you know, it's tricky to go, you know, which is, yeah. So she suggests Instagram and of course, Australian book lovers is on Instagram at Australian book lovers. Uh, And we will get better at putting covers and you've got some news about what we're going to do for our authors on Instagram. Yes, absolutely. So the news part for my a little part of the world is regarding the website and social media. Now, with regards to the website, uh, we've actually now got a new feature on there called Latest Editions. So visitors to the website can click on that page and be taken straight to a directory of book covers of all of the latest titles that have been so graciously submitted to us for listing in our directory. So that's great. Um, Obviously, uh, Instagram will be a lot more active coming over the next few days as we as the website begins to settle on its feet. And I'm looking forward to introducing a whole bunch of uh, book covers, as we were just ta- as you were just talking about book covers, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of book covers as well as synopsis on Instagram, as and maybe some information about some of the authors. And I will be including some cool photos of my cat as well, because <laughs> in essence, he is my writing buddy and he is my reading buddy, and he is my chili harvesting buddy. Uh, so he deserves a little bit. He's of pretty sunshine. gorgeous. Yeah, but but that was interesting what you spoke about with regards to the book covers, because mm. I know. Myself, look, every author approaches book covers, you know, in a different way. Some people just, you know, uh, may hire someone to design it. Mm-hmm. Some people may purchase, you know, pre-existing art concepts, etc. Um, all, all valid ways to do it. Um, myself with my books, uh, I, I guess it's just one of those fun things that I love doing towards the end and coming up with the, the idea in my head. And I've been lucky enough to work with an artist who 
has a way of just reaching into my brain and also somehow deciphering my pen scribble that I'll take a <laughs> photo of and send. He just he just turns it into magic. But yeah. the the advice that you read out regarding having a look on the bookshelf or perhaps looking at the top ten in the genre, or at least mm. top ten that reflects mm. some aspects of the genre you're writing, definitely did that. Uh, and it for me, I think that Catch Twenty Two is exactly as you mentioned. You can follow what is you know, to a certain degree, look for a trend and then try to fit into that uh, style mm. that is obviously working or take that risk and, and just do something completely different um, mm. because it's, it's, it's funny because the trend always begins with an outlier. Yes. And, and so it's, it's a risk, absolutely, but to, to put yourself in a position where you may start a trend or at least, you know, divert eyes from people that might be, you know, flooded with a certain style it, it can be to your advantage and, and obviously it can be to a disadvantage too so yeah. it's definitely a yeah. personal choice but for me as far as personal choice I, I love that part I think you know the old uh, addict that you can't judge a book by its cover mm. I just it's I've, I, I understand I mean obviously it's a cliche that we've grown up with since mm. we could, you know walk and talk but of course that cover means so much it's it's a yeah. download of information it's a promise you know, this is the promise I'm giving you. This is the emotions that I'm hoping to help you learn, uh, learn uh, to experience. And, you know, that, that, oh, here's Bobby now to say hello. Yep. <laughs> so sorry, dear listeners. Uh, I let my cat out for a walk and he refuses to go out by himself. So he's back. <laughs> uh, but no, so, the, yeah, so for me, that's, I think, the cover is, and, and it's the cover isn't the, the deal breaker, but the cover, if I'm in a bookshop, will uh, help me pick it off the shelf and, and read the back or flick through the pages and check out the style. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, it's, yeah, definitely so important. And yeah. speaking of art, um, I'm, I am hoping that particular artist, Steve Levin, yep. um, will be a part of an interview soon because ah, he's, very good. He's, yes, he's done a lot of book covers. He's also yep. done uh, record covers or LP mm -hmm. covers, and he's also had art displayed. Uh, I think all across Australia, he does all styles. He, he uh, creates artwork for governments and for education departments. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. a fascinating uh, artist who lives and breathes every aspect of creative design and mm. stuff like that. So that'd be interesting. But yes, book covers. And uh, I, one of the advice I did read at one point was, uh, and I've, you've probably come across this as well, if you find your sales not going as well as they could be, change your book cover yes um, yeah absolutely i i don't know if i can do that no <laughs> uh, that's it's a little a little tricky for for some of for some people and you know it's whether you're prepared to let that go but i think brian cohen i remember he does some great he's an american author who does some great how to write stuff and how to use uh, marketing like you know amazon and and uh, facebook and all of those kind of things and he did that for, you know, it's just an example of when he did that, because when he went to look at his bookshelf, he realized that what he had didn't match and he was aiming at the, the YA market. And so he changed his covers and he just, his sales just took off, which was fantastic. And he relaunched and he also used new, I think he used new ISBNs as well, so that the algorithm reset on Amazon or something uh -huh. because it was a new book. So, you know, little tricks and things as that was pretty useful. One of the things that I was interested that Jane Curry also mentions is that, you know, there's more than sort of, you know, aesthetics to the, you know, putting your book cover on Instagram, they've actually found a small army of Instagram reviewers and they, as she says, ply their craft outside the legacy media. So they've got a younger and more active readership as a result. So that's something for authors to have a think about. If you're looking to connect with a different audience, then think about where an audience might be and 
yeah, have a bit of a look at Instagram. We will do our best to, you know, bring you some bits and pieces there. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, look, it can be daunting. It can be frustrating. And, mm. But it can also be fun learning all these social media or marketing. If, if you are independent, or regardless of how your book's been published, the marketing is the, the most vital, vital part of all. Mm. Um, but obviously, we will be doing all we can on Facebook. And we're going to try and become, uh, you know, develop a huge presence on Instagram. So if you are an author, unsure of how to market or are still in the learning process. It, I mean, it's forever a learning process, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. But, you know, by all means, if uh, allow us to list your book, if you haven't yet, on our website, because we will be going through that learning curve as well. And we'll be doing our best to get all of the books listed here, you know, eager reader eyes upon them through avenues such as Facebook and social media, uh, sorry, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And we're not going to stop and we're going to keep learning and we're going to keep finding these tricks and hopefully we will get bigger and better. And, you know, at the end of the day, that, that means more readers looking at these books and hopefully finding some magical novels to uh, kick off winter as it slowly comes in mm. and good sales for all the authors, which is the number one goal. Yes. Yes, okay. indeedy. Yes. So now, uh, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're trialing a few different little features for our website. So now what we'd like to do is introduce our second new feature, which is author cameos. So without further ado, how about we let, have a listen to one now? Hi, book lovers. I'm Maria P. Frino, a Sydney-based author. My debut novel, The Decision They Made, is on the Australian Book Lovers website. I've made a career of using words to communicate, writing press releases, ads and newsletters for products from food to jewellery, fashion and interiors, as well as garden and building products. It's all been part of my writing career. Now, as well as working as a web content manager, I write fiction short stories and novels, namely family sagas, contemporary fiction and science fiction. There will be two more books published this year. One is a contemporary fiction and the other a science fiction trilogy. Look out for them on the ABL website. And thank you so much, Maria, for being a part of our author cameo, which we will be bringing a whole lot more of to all of the listeners out there, uh, and hopefully a fun feature of the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Great opportunity to get to know a little bit about some of the amazing authors uh, that are on the website and a little bit about who they are and their inspiration for writing. So definitely keep your ears tuned because there's going to be a whole lot more of those to come. So, Veronica, episode four, I understand you've got a quite a very cool interview for us today. Absolutely. So, this was a really fun interview. So, this is Kevin Clare, and Kevin has a great website. It's a little fantasy, a little sci-fi, a little love. So, he's got a number of books on the website, and I'll let him talk about what they are and all those kind of things. But Kevin is, let me just switch to the right page so I've got it here. Kevin lives with his husband, Warren, in their humble apartment, which they call Sabrina um, in Australia's own Emerald City, So, which is, of course, up in Sydney. So his tales explore unrequited love in the theatre district of the afterlife, romance between a dreamer and a realist, and a dystopian city that's addicted to social media. So a real mix but, Definitely. Yeah. But, bag but, of loggy, lollies <laughs> for sure. Good, good lollies. Good lollies. Yes. Uh, but 
you know, love is a fairly strong influence in, in a number of his stories. So it was interesting to think about fantasy and love and, you know, sci-fi and love and those kind of things, because there are some people who are more purists in terms of what they read in their genres. But what are your thoughts about having romance in, you know, say fantasy and, and sci-fi or horror for that matter? Yes, absolutely, because I did have a bit of a look into the the mishmash of how romance fits into sci-fi and fantasy and even sometimes horror. As far as my personal opinion, I think it always comes down to the story, but love really usually is plays such an important part. And I, I was surprised to see that there was quite a bit of a healthy discussion uh, online uh, in relation <laughs> to whether there should be romance in your more traditional science fiction or, or fantasy. You know, I was, I was quite surprised to read uh, some of the thoughts and some, some readers saying, well, they were turned off by, you know, the hard or, or technical science fiction when romance comes into it mm. because that deserves its own genre. Whereas mm. other people said, no, no, that's not the case at all. In fact, I read, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he, he brought up a good point. He said that he loves science fiction because it has a, a profound, sometimes profound, but either way it has an effect on his brain, on his mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he also loves romance because that can have a, a profound effect on his heart. Mm -hmm. So getting a story that can actually have an effect on both is you know why wouldn't you want something like that but i guess with horror it's often the case of usually there's maybe an already established relationship that then is put into a position of turmoil or, uh, yes. or deep or deep trouble or deep challenges yeah. as opposed to how that relationship formed it's usually we're already in introduced to a relationship um so I, don't, I can't think of many horrors off the top of my head except for maybe you know where the, the protagonist survives with another character and and because and they therefore form a bond at the end mm -hmm. and and become together but yeah it, it is interesting um, thought i, I can't yeah. see any reason why i mean i would never sit down and write for example when i'm writing science fiction consciously say do i want to have romance so to speak yeah uh, but i guess it comes down to how one believes or how one feels about the term romance i mean yes yeah there's something that for me, sums it up really nicely. And this is, um, I was reading something from Curiosity Quills, which is a person called Lim Yale. And they've written, um, they, they do a rant apparently, and romance in fantasy, this particular. But number one on her, her his list, I'm not sure, um, or their list, I should say, who's sleeping with whom should not be more important than the fate of the world. And I thought, yeah, that, that kind of sums it up for that's me. A, that's an interesting <laughs> point, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, they say here, I sometimes wonder whether where fantasy characters get the energy to worry about whether someone likes them or likes likes them or even have wild sex anytime they want while being chased through the wilderness by enemies, worrying about whether the Dark Lord will kill them all before long or working as a slave. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, that's kind of, anyway, then she goes on to, you know, um, they go on to say, um, you know, what's most important if the end of the world is coming and, you know, sure, you know, last minute sex before, you know, the, the campaign, but maybe not, you know, the slow boil exposure thing, any anyway, love triangles. Anyway, she goes on. So that was, uh, that was quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, and again, th that seems to be one viewpoint on what romance is, and and definitely, I think you know, if I'm reading a horror or a sci-fi or a mm -hmm. fantasy, then and romance is in there, that's not going to be a problem at all. But but I guess I can understand the point where if the focus of you know what becomes important in a story is 
shifts from perhaps you know the the overarching plot and instead focuses on the two uh, characters so because mm-hmm. if it's essentially a story about two characters coming together in a romantic situation mm-hmm. then any whatever's happening to the world around them becomes a backdrop as as opposed to a feature of the story so for me that would then turn that into pure romance does that make mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. Um, whereas integrating romance in a story without taking away the importance of whatever the plot is for that particular novel or genre mm-hmm. i think it's it's a vital vital part um Love is really such a driver of so many abilities to go through so many horrible things or take on challenges or, you know, to slay dragons. I mean, don't people slay dragons to win hearts? And, uh, <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> so love is uh, such a powerful <laughs> motivator in, in every genre, I think. Uh, yeah. So, But science fiction and fantasy, I think, needs romance. Romance is what it's all about um, as far as you know what's driving all characters not all the time but mm. it's it's nothing to be you know get the red pen about and say well no this is turning into a romance so it is a tricky yeah. one uh, it is yeah i tend to like stories that have a more of a social aspect to them and whether that social includes a romance or whether it's just a relationship between a group or you know two or three people i like stories that have people in them so whether the world is set on a rocket, whether it's a dystopian, you know, Melbourne, whether it's uh, like a fantasy, uh, you know, uh, medieval, middle European, as many of them are, what I like about that is how they interact with each other and their world. So it's, for me, it's always all about the people. And if romance is there and it's done well, yep, that's fine. But yeah. I do like that quote and from this blog which a female i've just checked i beg your pardon if uh, uh, not doing that properly but yeah i do like their their thought that if it's not the end of the world what do you do <laughs> what are you doing who's sleeping with him should not be more important than the fate of the world i, I think i'm gonna you know remember that one yeah yeah absolutely the other things should be more important but it's yeah. interesting when like you said when the fact that you enjoy you know, the interaction of characters, the social element mm. set on mm. whatever the the you know setting might be, mm. and I think romance not it doesn't have to be a feature, but when it is used, um, like for example, you may have a protagonist who's you know for, so so if I'm writing for myself and I'm writing about a, a gentleman who's rough and tumbled and goes through all these you know different events and adventures and whatnot, but there's a side of a character that perhaps you can't tell without bringing in romance. Not to Mm. say you have to, Mm. but like even in real life, I think there's those elements of our deep personal dimensions Mm -hmm. is something that we slowly learn to share with someone when we become intimate and become, you know, a romance. And, you know, we share things that we wouldn't share with other people, which is just the way it is. So I think when writing, you don't have to, but if by chance, because I mean, for me, the characters usually end up doing what they want to do and I'm just, you know, I'm just the fingers on the keyboard. But mm-hmm. if romance does come about, I think it's it's a great opportunity to introduce different and deeper aspects of each character, mm. which can really enhance, you know, all the action that might be coming or the dramas, the trials, the tribulations, the, uh, yeah. the even the end of the world. Adds layers. And slayers, yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, very interesting. Not slayers, but ads layers. Sorry, that was my um, my diction there. 
Oh, I, I, I straight away thought of Slayers, like <laughs> Dragon Slayers right and Monster <laughs> Slayers, and I thought about the Band Slayer as well. So. There you go. But no, ads layers. I, I will be better at uh, at my diction. <laughs> well, yes, ads layers. Anyway, we, go on. we'd love to hear from people, listeners out there. Like you know, you, you're welcome to write in and uh, to educate us about romance because we do have a fantastic. Um, interview with a one of our uh, romance authors it's brilliant and she has uh, is also going to donate a giveaway prize which i think will be well that's great uh, quite a few more romance authors we're not going to talk about it just yet because i'll get some details and get it out to people uh-huh. but um sandy barker is a travel romance writer and within the romance genre itself there are so many uh sub and that's an interesting discussion on its own but anyway that's not who we've got today today we have kevin claire yes excellent and i can't wait to have a listen to the cool conversation you had with him all right let's do it welcome kevin let's go and i'm absolutely delighted to have with us kevin clear and Kevin has four books on uh, the Australian Book Lovers website, and I don't think we're talking about any particular book, but uh, perhaps all of them. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Veronica. Thanks for having me. No worries. Now, Kevin, I love your website, which says uh, a little fantasy, a little sci-fi, a little love. What a great combination of genres. Um, yes, because I used to uh, – my, my slogan used to be um, – musings of an overthinker because I used to try to <laughs> get the blog part but after right. I went to GenreCon in Brisbane I realized that's not selling myself at all that's not selling the books and getting the idea of what the books are about so right. I totally changed the way my website was structured okay there you go now what country are you writing on Kevin uh, Gadigal country Gadigal all right so you're up in New South Wales and Sydney fantastic uh, Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I believe that you've done a little bit of work uh, for Curie Radio up there. Yeah. Uh, me and my partner, who is from is uh, Aboriginal descent, um, from Camilleroy country. He may well get you for that one for hesitating. <laughs> Actually, you know, the funny thing is, um, what used to remind me, because um, dear old Google knows everything. Of course. On my old Samsung Galaxy phone, I had I didn't even have his name like I had his um uh, you know the lovey dovey name we call each oh, other yes yeah and I had a, a pixelated photo of him for for his contact mm-hmm. and straight away the um you know Android matched him with Camilla Roy mm-hmm. country mm-hmm. even though he's never written that anywhere or wow. put it anywhere that's a little spooky and Google knew exactly first off that he was Aboriginal and. This is his country because wow. of where he was born. And that freaked me out. My new phone, <laughs> which is also a Samsung, yeah. hasn't done that. Mm. But that did freak me out when it did that all that time ago. Yes, but we used to, we had a show called The Rhythm Divine for 11 years mm-hmm. on Curry Radio. It, used, mm-hmm. it started off on Saturday nights and for the last three years, then it became on Friday nights. So we could mm-hmm. just finish work and go straight and do our show. And then our entire weekend was free. And it was all about just exploring music, different genres of music and bringing different genres of music to our audience. Fantastic. And speaking of audiences, tell me a little bit about your particular audience. You know, with sci-fi, fantasy and romance, who do you write for? I've learnt 
that most of my readers are older women mm-hmm. or older gay men, but a good friend of mine who has done a bit of freelance work uh, with an office that is full of millennials mm-hmm. tells me they like my books as well. There's one particular one he introduced them to and he found that they were repeating some of the comedy lines to each other. But he, <laughs> but he also told me that some of the millennials, they have no idea what they're reading because of short attention span. <laughs> they just lo- but, 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 but they just love the comedy lines in right. them. So, right. so I've learned to focus on an older age bracket. Right. But my friend is saying, maybe not necessarily so yeah Yeah. so is there hope for one of your books to be you know miniseries do we see it on netflix anytime soon i would so love that (laughs) i would so love that i'd love the especially i'd love drama queens with love scenes to be a series but um my friend who works with millennials because he introduced them to winter masquerade you know i i could see that as a as as a movie because it's only novella It'd mm-hmm. be so nice. I think we'd all love a deal with Netflix. Oh, let's face why not? it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And they are doing some great work, particularly in the sci-fi and fantasy area, which a lot of people are a bit sort of leery of, you know, given how much it took to do uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, or, you know, the best response you've had. You've said you've got uh, millennials reading them. You've got older women reading, you've got gay men reading them. So what's the best response that you've ever seen? The good thing is I've been, I've had a lot of good reviews for my work. The only work that I've had totally mixed reviews as in there's no middle ground. It's either love and hate Mm -hmm. is when I tried to write a romance Mm -hmm. Nate and the New Yorker and Nate's Last Tango, when that came out, it divided audiences because it's actually more a a story about grief than it is about romance. So, Mm -hmm. So some people adored it and what it was saying about someone grieving over a past relationship when they're thrown into a new one and they're Mm -hmm. not quite ready yet, yet Mm -hmm. this guy is lovely and seems perfect, but that Nathan's not ready to commit. Mm -hmm. So, so of course, the true romance lovers totally slagged it off. There's a really, there's a wonderful review of someone who doesn't like the book at all, Mm -hmm. but but her review is filled with real wit. Right. And I, and I often share it with people you know, she she's talks about, you know, not only is do we have to suspend our disbelief, you know, to a point where it's unbelievable, you know, but I, I can't even, I can't remember what she's wrote. I'd have to look it up quickly, but she's my favourite. She's she's my favourite bad review I ever got. <laughs> so, Kevin, what about some good reviews? Tell us about uh, when you've had a good review of your work. I, I've had some beautiful reviews generally for a lot of my work but when drama queens with love scenes came out my first book because i've got seven out there at the moment and and there's an eighth one that's just been signed up Mm, uh, everyone fell in love with a secondary character named guy who's the insecure (laughs) angel in it and this threw me because i was already writing the sequel to it and i didn't include him in the sequel oh no (laughs) And all of a sudden, everyone's saying, like, uh, like reviewers and readers are putting in, uh, I've put my own request in for my own 
guardian angel and I want him to be guy. <laughs> and and, and, and an, another person wrote, he's the emotional linchpin of the book, <gasps> oh, you know, dear. so everyone was talking about him. <laughs> so I had to really rethink and rewrite the sequel to include him. Right. Um, you know, so he's definitely there in all three of the Actors and Angels series. Beautiful. So tell me, as a writer then, are you a plotter or a pantser? I started off um, I started off plotting early on because the sequel to Drama Queens with Love Scenes is one called Drama Queens and Adult Themes, which is mm-hmm. a bit of a play on Veronica, our age group, when mm-hmm. you used to watch TV and they'd say, and this program includes adult, <laughs> adult themes. themes yes. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the title is lost to Americans. They don't quite understand <laughs> why I called it that, but that's why. Yeah. Um, that book, because not everyone knows the full story, because part of it's set in the afterlife, part of it is my characters from the first novel reincarnated and living in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So I had to write it from four different points of view Mm. so I had to carefully plot in a way that each of the storytellers would continue the story they wouldn't retell another part or so that's when I became a plotter Mm -hmm. when I wrote social media central because it was the first time I ever wrote dystopian I kept second guessing myself right and as I was writing it I kept re- writing and moving away from my outline Mm -hmm. and and even there was a secondary character um in it who decided she needed more of a starring role Uh (laughs) uh-huh so 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 that helped panster it a bit because it meant that she became the girlfriend of one of my other characters and so what I had planned for that other character being single went out the window (laughs) and now I kind of do half plot half panster um for the sequel which is still a work in progress to social media central which is called virtual insanity i have stuck to the outline but there's another project i'm working on at the moment which is a contemporary piece set in the rave party culture days of the 90s in sydney Mm -hmm. which i'm finding i'm panstering a little bit because i think Veronica, we all know that once we've got a few books under our belt, we kind of know what our readers expect. Yes. And sometimes, even though in the outline you've written that you're going to move to this other character in the secondary storyline, instinctively, you know, no, if I leave this main storyline at the moment and move to another character the reader won't like it they'll get frustrated Mm. and you kind of know that so some so this is why I become partly I I do definitely outline sometimes I'll outline a second draft before Mm -hmm. I go back to the book and even with um one of my works in in progress at the moment Mm -hmm. the one is set in the 90s I'm already writing notes for the second draft right you know, what I need mm. to expand on, what, yeah. you know, even before I've even read it and see if it's any good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a hybrid, but I've learned to be a hybrid just through, you know, author instinct. Sounds good. And I love the, the name of that sequel. Very nice. So <laughs> tell me, are there any secrets hidden in your writing? You sound like the characters are telling you what to do and they're, they're coming, you know, merging from one book to the other. So what secrets have you got in your writing? Except for Social Media Central, which Mm -hmm. is totally in a different, you know, it's set in 2064, it's in a different place, different time. Mm -hmm. There are crossroads with 
my other books, mm-hmm. the Actors and Angels series, because uh, like Drama Queens with Love Scenes is set in the theatre district of the afterlife and the two main characters in the first chapter, they're dead, but they don't remember how they died. Mm. And um, the second book, like I said, takes place both on Earth and in the afterlife. And the third book, Drama Queens and Devilish Schemes, takes place in the afterlife. With Nate and the New Yorker, I'm giving a spoiler away, but okay. the reason Nate is <laughs> If anybody grieving... doesn't want to hear this, please just turn it off and fast forward for a couple of minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the, the reviewer who was witty and hated it yes. gave the spoiler away, and I was, oh, I was no. <laughs> so annoyed that she did that. It's like, it's, and I'll, tell, I'll tell you what she said. She said, and there's a ghost in this story? I didn't oh. expect a ghost. <laughs> so, so, so basically Nate is grieving because the, his soulmate actually died early and this is why he's not ready for the perfect relationship Mm -hmm. but i've been able to tie in different scenes from different point in views for example in um i yeah it's definitely in oh now i'm not sure which book it's in no it's definitely in drama queens and devilish schemes i think or it may be in drama queens and and um, adult themes. You can tell I don't reread my own books. <laughs> um, there's, a, th- th- there's a fantasy scene where Guy the Angel and the main character, Adam, are suddenly in Buenos Aires, in this mystical version of Buenos Aires. The pink, the pink palace is there, and there's all these tango dancers. In, one, in the l- last scene of Nate's last tango, where Nate is in Buenos Aires, he does see... He's a fantasy version of his former lover dancing and his former dead lover has this, is blonde. He has this blonde curl over his forehead mm-hmm. and that's referenced in the fantasy scene in that Actors and Angels scene where they're suddenly in Buenos Aires. Uh-huh. So I do have little like, I don't know, hidden Easter eggs or yes. whatever you call yes. them where they do. And, and the one that's been signed that's called um, The Midnight Man, mm-hmm. actually has the characters from um, Nate and the New Yorker, but not with his New Yorker boyfriend, Cameron, actually with his actual boyfriend, with his soulmate back in those days. So mm-hmm. so right. I, I do... There's like a whole family tree and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. How do you yeah. keep track of them? Um. It's hard because, like I said, I never reread my own books. I find it hard to do because whatever I've dealt with in life, writing that book, Mm -hmm. it's gone. I don't need to revisit it. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, in Drama Queens with Love Scenes, there's aspects of a time when I was bullied at work in there, Mm -hmm. but it's done in a different setting, obviously not in a work setting. So... Now that I've written it, I don't need to revisit it. Yeah. In Winter Masquerade, that's actually about a time in my life when I was in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And the main character is in denial that he's in an abusive relationship. And he suddenly finds himself in this fantasy Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass type of world, escaping mm-hmm. for a while and slowly coming to terms with it. Again, that's something I don't need to reread. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've put it out there yeah. in, a, in a book. I don't need to, you know, rediscover it. Yeah. And, and look, uh, writing is therapy. What a brilliant thing. Uh, now, you've just mentioned a contract. So are your books 
um, self-published, traditionally no. published. Tell us where you're no, at. With um, that. I'm with I'm with a small publisher called Nine Star Press. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually the third publisher I've been with because the first publisher um, had this habit of not doing their royalties mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay. all of us le- and all of us learnt uh, we slowly learnt that if we started complaining about it they'd drop our contract mm. the second publisher I was with Wild City Press went under mm-hmm. but fortunately the um, editor I worked with at at Wild, at Wild City Press brought me over to Nine Star Press mm-hmm. so so when they folded, I could re-release my books on Nine Star Press and continue. So they're a small um, LGBTQIA plus publisher in in the US. Mm-hmm. They were trying to do more literary stuff to begin with, but then the market, you know, they kept asking more for fantasy and science fiction, which mm. is fine. But mm-hmm. they still are trying to put the contemporary stuff out there because they do want to get those awards and that recognition yeah um so i have that beautiful luxury of being assigned a a cover designer a cover artist uh you know being being given an editor and i've now got an editor who's in london so my books are starting to come out in the type of english spelling that Ah. we like to use because dear old jason my american editor i had to then after i finished I finished the book. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd do a, I'd, you know, do another, you know, copy and paste, change it to American spelling, mm. let it do a spell check, change everything mm. for him. Mm. So a lot of my books are in American spelling, but mm-hmm. I can now do them in Australian spelling. And yeah, of course, I've got the luxury of then copy editing and line editing. Fantastic! You know. So important in putting a good product out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Let's go back to before the writing and you've said, uh, you know, you're a little bit of a, a pantser and potter somewhere in between there. So tell me about research in your writing. The only one I'm really researching, I've mm-hmm. had to research, is the book I'm writing at the moment set back in the 90s. Right. Um, in, now, the thing is, I've, I've wanted to, I wanted to write this book because uh, my partner and I, or my now husband Warren, mm-hmm. we've been together for thirty years. So we started out as you know late twenty somethings and and thirty somethings in the nineties, doing all those dance parties and Mardi mm. Gras and sleaze mm-hmm. and rap mm-hmm. parties and and all the other one toy box and all that that were around back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was our courting days, basically you know, dancing the night away. And I wanted to do a one set in the nineties, but also also because the nineties, you know, before nine eleven, it was the last time that the world seemed to make sense. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we all could find a job that paid well, that paid well enough for us to do brunch on Sundays mm. or Saturdays, call our friends, do picnics mm-hmm. actually not have mobile phones with us <laughs> organize our whole social engagements by the landline at home and yes. the answering <laughs> and the answering machine coming home and getting an invitation on the answering machine mm. calling back and confirming if, if you're confirming on their answering machine <laughs> you know and and that life that we all had that was social and which I and I want to celebrate that mm. as, and especially celebrating it with friends that are often going out because they could afford to go out yeah. 
and still find the time to buy, you know, get into a mortgage in Sydney and have a life. Because the one thing that I'm finding with, say, my Gen Y gay friends, well, there is no social life out there. They're picking up on apps. Mm. And that's a completely different, like, there's no friendships forming. There's no, and I feel like that generation have missed out. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sorry, back to research. Mm. Um, the State Library in New South Wales put aside for me um, all the microfilm of all the 90s edition of Sydney Star Observer, mm-hmm. a gay publication that you know, was still going in mm-hmm. Sydney, but it you know, used to come out every fortnight. We'd look through the social pages. We'd see all the obituaries because of mm. AIDS. Yes, yeah. But it really helped me bring back that era. Mm. You know, suddenly I was looking at the early 90s editions and going, oh, there was a lot of gay bashings Mm. off Oxford Street. And I forgot about that and the Guardian Mm -hmm. Angel movement Mm -hmm. that used to come with the berets and you used to have the whistles. It'd be men and women with whistles. Mm -hmm. So if there was a bashing going, that whistle, so there'd be safety in numbers Mm -hmm. down to like the mid 90s where the culture was really going the doc martens the the waist uh waistcoat over a t-shirt and the big big belt buckle and the ripped (laughs) jeans you know that's something you'd rip yourself yes you know the pine furniture that we all stained because black because brown was the new black (laughs) you know um i wanted to i want to relive as and, and telling jokes people Mm. don't tell jokes anymore Mm. and I had to try to remember all these jokes to weave into the book so Mm. that we'd get a sense of more more social life yeah and more people you know you met on the street faces you'd know that you never knew the names of but they were there at the midnight shift and at Mm. DCM Mm -hmm. and at all the dance parties Um, so it was great having this this research and also seeing gay culture move into a place where these gay publications were being read by more people. So they were doing reviews on all the mainstream theater and art and movies and mm-hmm. television, mm-hmm. not just in the early nineties on any bit of gay culture that existed <laughs> somewhere yes. on television or whatever, or a storyline yeah. on GP yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's really helped me relive and remember things that I forgot. And oh, one of the good. most, um, I'll just end with this little bit. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things I read um, in one of the 1990 editions was that the young liberals had their meeting in in um, Adelaide mm-hmm. and they were going to take to the Liberal Party how the age of consent for gay people should be the same all over Australia. It should mm-hmm. be 16. And reading that it was still illegal in Tasmania, decriminalised in, I think it was Western Australia, I could be wrong, still 21 in Queensland, or maybe in Queensland it was decriminalised. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but seeing, but seeing, be, remembering that it was still, you know, illegal and, and decriminalised and the age was 21 here and 18 there. And this was the young liberals right. <laughs> saying <Radical>. this. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, like the young liberals today aren't that... Uh, Aren't that breed, you know? Oh, um, no, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Um, embedding is is so important. You know, I think as a child of the 60s, there's so much that we have forgotten. Even just yeah. you mentioning those bits and pieces, I think, oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. 
landlines, etc. Kevin, you are also a great supporter of uh, the writing community on Twitter. And uh, yourself and Rebecca Langham are responsible for OzRights. So tell us a little bit about what happens with OzRights, which, which is a hashtag, OzRights on Twitter. Yes, um, Rebecca Langham started it a while back. And it was a time, uh, she's with the same American publisher as me and both of us. Right. Uh, our social media was so caught up um, with Americans and such that we weren't acting locally. Mm-hmm. And the real thing, unless you find your tribe locally, it's almost impossible when you live in a totally different time zone to reach out to an American audience, a European audience, a UK audience. Um, So she was smart enough to get us to create OzRights on Twitter to help us connect with Australians. Mm. When COVID hit, because she's a school teacher, she was suddenly creating Zoom classes mm. and didn't have time for OzRite. So I took over, I, I said, do you want me to create one of the prompts for a month? And basically mm-hmm. what OzRites is, uh, once a month, you get a whole month of prompts every second day and they can be everything from, you know, are you a plotter or a panster? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell us about your latest whip mm-hmm. um, or show us a picture of your favorite room or tell mm. us about your favorite old toy. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I took it over one month because I knew she didn't have time to do it. And since then we've both, we both share the load back and forth, mm-hmm. um, creating the prompts. I do the extra thing of uh, publishing the prompts on the day they're meant to come out, mm-hmm. mainly because I don't want all the prompts to be my pin tr- tweet because I do um, book trailers with actual actors, so I need my right. I need I need my pin tweet, pin tweet to be, to be that, yeah. the latest book trailer, <laughs> you know, with an actor telling you about his character. Yes. So so yes, so there's different prompts. So come along and look for hashtag AUSWRITES and come and join the fun with Ozrites. Fantastic, and I am there too, and I think it's. It's a such a great mix of nostalgia and story writing and lots of Aussie icons that are discussed and, as you say, some personal stuff to get to know the Ozerites community a little more. So it's great. And out of it has, you know, the Australian Book Lovers um, website has come out of it. <laughs> Nothing to do with Rebecca or I. No, but it was such an inspiration. That's it. It was like, okay, this is where we're, the writers are. Where are the books? And yes. It, it was so hard to find. But so we thought, you know what, let's do it. And doing, this po- yeah. and doing the podcast as well. Yeah, yeah good sure. on you guys. Yeah, so what, what from one little seed, which is fantastic. So, yes, we are definitely appreciative of Rebecca's idea. Yeah. So where else uh, can people find you online? I'm very active on Twitter. I mm-hmm. also have an Instagram account because, I use, because work I freelance for that I used to work at all day, once upon mm-hmm. a time. Yeah. I was surrounded by millennials and Gen Y, so they got me onto Instagram, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and of course, Facebook. But um, as I think, as a lot of us authors know, even having a dedicated page on Facebook doesn't reach people the way no. it used to no. in years past. So, I, so I just have like um, I keep I keep my Facebook author page open, which is not under my own name, which mm-hmm. is under my the original name of Drama Queens with love scenes, Mm -hmm. but I keep it open because 
people still find it and start yes. following, even though Gosh. I know it doesn't reach people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm more active. I'm most active on Twitter, and yeah. I do play with my audiences differently across the three platforms because I know they're three different audience audiences. Mm-hmm. But also, I have a newsletter. Um, so you know, sign up for the newsletter. I always start my newsletter telling you what's going on in my life, mm-hmm. um, and then you know going on and talking about other things and and one thing that's going on in my life at the moment um a couple of a few of us from my my you know queer publishing nine star press mm-hmm. are putting together a virtual online queer book conference um for most of us in australia it'll happen on may the 9th mm-hmm. it's it's a one day thing but for people in different time zones it's mostly may eight it'll be it'll start at like some ungodly hour on may 9 for us <laughs> um but 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 um we're trying to get some australia australian queer writers on board Fantastic. to be part of the time zone that suits me and my and jillian in new zealand yep. uh, who are part of this group so excellent so, so keep an eye out for icarus um i-c-a-r-u-s a book conference that'll be um, heading off in May. Fantastic. All right. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. So thank you to everybody for listening to Australian Book Lovers. And in particular, we hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit more about Kevin Clear and his fantastic works of science fiction, fantasy, romance, and many other things uh, in the writing community that he does. Kevin Collier, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with Veronica. That was an amazing interview. And I do have to say that I know we were talking about covers earlier in the podcast, covers, sorry, earlier in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two particular covers of Kevin's really strike out for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One is Winter Masquerade mm. and the other one is Drama Queens with Love Scenes. Now, I'm looking at them right now. Yeah. They, I mean, look, they're, they're they're well designed, they're great covers, but the contrast between the two is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, two very unique styles, and yet somehow still captures, I guess it's the font that sort of brings them together, but mm-hmm. two very vividly different colour schemes and, and moods. Uh, the Drama Queen with Love Scenes is, is a quite really beautiful cover, actually. I really mm-hmm. like it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very, very nice work. Yes, and he has got more on the way. He's just signed a contract with Nine Star Press for The Midnight Man. And that features the cast of, yeah, Nate and Cameron books, the sort of secondary characters. Uh, Nine Star Press is a boutique publisher of quality LGBTQA, romance, erotica and literary fiction. So I've seen a little bit about them around and about and they have an interest in showcasing literary works about characters that are less represented in fiction. So ace, arrow, trans, non-binary, gender field, bi, pan, etc. And genre bending fictions, fusion fiction and stories that don't quite fit into a particular category. And that's something that you and I have talked about that maybe we'll go into a little bit more next episode is about genre mashing and, you know, cross genre books and is a dystopian fantasy? Should it be a dystopian sci-fi? Yeah, all those things are very, very tricky. Yes, yes. Well, tags. It comes mm. down to tags, doesn't yeah, it? It does come you, down you to tags. You can say your book is dystopian, but there's 45 tags you can associate to it. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely. That would be fantastic. And, and look, the, uh, you know, representing, you know, 
characters or people that that aren't usually represented like you said mm-hmm. from, from mm-hmm. the minorities i think it's fantastic but mm-hmm. you know definitely i thought to have that as a subject one episode soon too because i have a theory uh, a futuristic sci-fi theory mm-hmm. that at some point in time as a species we will have no doubt reach a point of having the ability to upload our consciousness to a certain degree Mm. Uh, now it's i think you know i'm wondering and i have been wondering for about a year or two now Mm -hmm. are we in the very embryonic stages because essentially you know with our social media and being able to create online profiles Mm -hmm. we can become anybody our gender doesn't matter you know you i can create a you know for example i can create any sort of gender Mm -hmm. uh, profile and you know so can you imagine the leapfrog if you added 500 years for example and if you could upload yourself into uh, a conscious like your conscious into us then you could be whatever you wanted to be and you know in theory sex may not be important it may still be but the, the 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 main thing is you will have the choice of who you are yes. as opposed to yeah you know, feeling, I know a lot, it's difficult for a lot of people out there that may not feel comfortable in their own skin for whatever reason. So it's, it's interesting thought of what will happen in the far future, but it does make me wonder, are we in the embryonic stages? Yeah, so, I think we're getting closer because they say science fiction is often the, or speculative fiction is often the precursor for ideas. And uh, it reminded me of the uh, it altered carbon the series oh, on, heard of on it. one of the streams. Yeah, yes. really good. And so people get uploaded into a little disc, and if your sleeve, which is your body, doesn't work, they just pop you into another one. <laughs> so there you go. I've read lots of these, and we could talk forever. Yes, so it's definitely going to be a subject. Yeah. What about another author cameo? Have you yes, got somebody well, else for us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we have a whole heap more of content still to come. So for our wonderful listeners out there, stay tuned because we're about to have another author cameo. We are going to have a reading from Kevin Clare from his novel, Nate and the New Yorker. And we're also going to have some book reviews. So still a lot to come. Uh, Before we do let you go, I did want to take this opportunity because our discussions earlier, Veronica, about romance and science fiction and and Mm -hmm. whatnot so and i think romance comes in so many different shapes and sizes and i thought well i might take this opportunity and a very quick little story and this is where i think romance can be can meet a little bit of science fiction and maybe that'll and then we can try our tail end but Mm -hmm. so one of the first times i was allowed when i was a kid to actually go to a shopping center by myself Mm -hmm. Uh, so i can't remember maybe nine ten back then uh, maybe a bit earlier it was a big adventure but of course where did i go straight to a bookshop and it was heaven (laughs) and and look i was young obviously but i remember opening book and for the life of me i can never remember what book it was but in the book they actually opened it with a quote and the quote in its, you know, although I never remembered it precisely, it stuck with me for forever. Mm-hmm. And I did find it uh, today looking on, you know, uh, so Google can be your friend, absolutely. And oh, look, it means, it can mean a lot for everybody, but uh, different things for everybody, you know, depending on which way you want to look at it. But as far as from a romantic perspective, um, I think there can be romance when you're a kid uh, discovering literature and then Uh, developing your concept of the world so i'll I'll read you the quote and then we'll try our tale and uh yeah it'd be interesting to hear your real quick thoughts about the quote so Mm -hmm. the quote is if the stars should appear one night in a thousand years how would men believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of god which had been shown 
but every night come out these enjoys of beauty and light the universe with their admonishing smile. Now that's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm. And I understand it's from nature and selected essays, but what struck me or almost shook me back then was, yeah, wow. What if the night sky was dark every night and then one night you could see all the stars. Ah, So you've just described Isaac Asimov's book or story called Nightfall. Ah, then perhaps maybe that's the book I picked off the shelf. Yeah, it could have been. That that was amazing. I remember reading that as a a young thing, much younger than you, but that's okay. Uh, And it was exactly that. So the stars only came out once in a thousand years because they had, I think, two or three moons. I can't remember exactly. But there was always a moon in the sky and they never saw the darkness. And the trouble was that the world pretty much went mad every thousand years that people's mind just couldn't cope with it. So wow. Okay. I have to read really that book. I can't believe yes. I didn't. I've read so much. Isaac. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't read that book. Yeah, there you go. I'm starting to believe now uh, that I might've had it in my hands though, as a little yeah, kid with my first adventure definitely. to the shopping center. <laughs> but for me, it was a little bit of romance too, because, mm. you know, f- uh, that mm. stuck with me forever. Mm. And, you know, mm. even now when I look up the stars, I always, it's just, it's, that's what the stars are to me now. There's something yeah. that, you know, I have to remember what if it was only tonight I could see them and yeah. that, that maintains that that romance. So romance is it means so many different things to so many different people. And I've got a little bit of a romance with the stars. Yeah. So even and if there's fireballs ready to kill us all. <laughs> yeah. Too much horror. <laughs> <laughs> no, just existential uh, crisis. But... Uh, sorry, existential. Now, one thing I did want to say to our listeners is thank you so much for listening. We have had yes. more than 100 downloads. We've been blown away by the support of everybody who's had a listen. And hopefully you're finding a little bit of something for you. If you've got anything that you'd like us to talk about, we've got some industry experts coming up, um, getting myself organised to do some interviews with some industry experts. Uh, we are on Twitter at Australian Books. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Australian Book Lovers. So please um, say good day to us there. And uh, yeah, we will do our best to respond to you. Remembering that, of course, you know, Darren and I are volunteers, but <laughs> we, we are doing, uh, you know, many, many hours, but thoroughly enjoying being able to bring you so many fantastic. Australian authors. Yeah, and and volunteers, I I prefer the term slave to dreams. (laughs) Oh, nice. I was going to say, you're already a slave to your cat, but now it's Ah, yes, and the keyboard, but slave to dreams because (laughs) if we can't dream, it's all about dreaming and then chasing the dream. And this is definitely for for both of us a dream. And and, and I I agree with you wholeheartedly to all of the listeners out there that have chosen to stick with us and and listen to our first couple of podcasts and and download. Mm. Thank you so much. I can assure you things will uh, get better from my end this is all brand new and obviously we're growing every time in our knowledge about podcasting but uh, i hope you're enjoying the show so far i promise you we're going to be working hard to make them better and better every time so thank you and i do hope you keep downloading but for now before we go to our further content it's time for us to maybe trial our tagline again we're going to get a perfect one day um so who's going to count this one in I'll count us in. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, so listeners. Take, we'll... take care, everybody. Yep. And, and remember to read. Read. Oh, more. no, we have to start again. Let's, All right, start let's, again. Let's do that one again. <laughs> All right. And one more time, Darren, with feeling. Here we are. Remember to Re- read. Read more, more Aussie, Aussie books. books. Yeah, no, we, oh, we need to practice that way It's a 6.5 out of 10. <laughs> That's okay. It's above five. Even right. if it's my own rating. Yeah, take care, take, everybody. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Kevin Clare and I'm going to read an expert 
from my romance novella, Nate and the New Yorker. In this excerpt, you'll meet Roger, who is Cameron's butler, and he's dressed as his alter ego, Rowena. He's a cross-dressing butler. And you'll also meet Cameron's lesbian aunt, Aunt Beverly. And both of them have jetted to Sydney to see why Nathan has come back home and left Cameron behind in New York. Roger was in Rowena mode with a tatty blonde wig and a bridal dress. Aunt Beverly was also in white, but her outfit consisted of a jumpsuit and blue suede shoes. And both had bags under their eyes the size of luggage. This is how you travel? I asked. I wanted to parade my outfit for you Australians, Rowena replied, rotating a hand above her head as she said this. I take it you're Dolly Parton. No, dear Nathan, I'm Priscilla Presley. When was Priscilla blonde? Sweetheart, all gals go blonde once in their lives. Huh? Aunt Beverly took my hand and lowered her face to meet mine. Artistic for Elvis, she said. What? It's a charity we ran out of to jump on a plane to see you. You didn't think to go home and change first? We couldn't, Rowena replied. Cameron rang us in drunken tears, which is how we got your number. I was wondering about that. Remember this, Nate. Whenever he's drunk, you can ask Cam anything without him remembering the next day. She winked like a mistress who knew all the tricks. So you left the fundraiser and boarded a plane to see me? Of course. We had to visit the root of Cam's problem. Thanks. Were you both drunk when you made that decision? Yes, but an 18-hour flight sobers you up no matter how much gin you drink. I gazed at the dynamic duo with their oversized cocktails. It was good to see them continue their party down under, as all the patrons in this gay pub didn't bat an eyelid at their appearance. The music pulsated and Rowena's oversized ass swung back and forth like an out-of-control wrecking ball. No time for that, love. Beverly insisted. We have to talk sense into Nathan. A moustached man grabbed a chunk of Rowena's swaying behind and she purred. But Aunt Bev gave a look that could curdle milk and her admirer slipped away quietly. Okay, what do you need to say to me? I asked. Why do you think we need to do all the talking? Bev replied. Because I don't know what to say. And what I had to say, I said to Cameron. And he said it back to us in a drunken stupor over the phone, just when I was about to begin my rendition of Devil in Disguise. Something unnerved me about the way she said that song title. Nate, dear, how do you feel about Cam? Rowena asked. Her eyelids fluttered as she mentioned her employer's name. I like him. And? I like him. And he likes you. So what's the problem? Aunt Beverly leaned forward as Rowena tried to look serious, and somehow having the ghost of Elvis and a bad Priscilla look-alike judge me made me feel less threatened. I don't know him. What? Rowena's head flicked back so fast that her wig flew into someone's beer. Fortunately, the patron was too drunk to notice. She then turned, scrunched her face, and looked me right in the eye. He paraded you all around New York, showing you the sights, and Bev put a finger to Rowena's lips. How much does he know about you? Bev asked. A fair bit. More than I know about him. My nephew lives like an only child. He always has. He always will. Then you get what I'm saying, Beverly. But the point is, that's him. He doesn't know any better. And that's hard for me to take. Why, Nathan? In his only child way, he's showing that he loves you. Does he love me? Rowena rested her hairy hand on my shoulder. Nate, dear, she said. 
You should have heard him crying over the phone. Why? Because I was a toy he couldn't have? You're quite bitter for a young man, Aunt Beverly noted. He is, isn't he? Rowena agreed. I'd say Nate was in love once and obviously had its heart broken. Hi there, this is Laurie Bell. I'm a fantasy and science fiction writer. I'm also a blogger, reviewer, flash fiction writer, narrator, and the author of the Stones of Power series, starting with the Butterfly Stone. It's a magical YA fantasy about a young, mage-kind girl who desperately wants to help her detective uncle on his next case. A mysterious woman wants her missing necklace found, which launches a wild and dangerous adventure. But beware, don't let the shadow touch you. You can find out more about me at australianbooklovers.com under fantasy. Bring ice cream. Green Halen Chronicles of Algarth Number 1 by L. A. Webster Who wouldn't want to be swept away from their safe little life to an enchanted world full of magic? And of course, be given the opportunity to save the world from enemies and strife. If your answer is count me in, then Green Halen is for you. Debut author L. A. Webster has woven a classic portal fantasy in the Tales of Algarth Book 1 that works on so many levels. The storytelling style is unique and has a lyrical rhythm and cadence. The reader follows an eclectic cast as they take on friends, enemies and government agents in their attempt to right wrongs and heal their dying land. I liked Sarah Martin, the disgruntled gardener tossed into another world. Her thoughts and actions were beautifully written and her arc from frightened and emotion shy to stepping up to the challenges of friendship, independence and leadership were lovely to read including some of the vacillating back and forth about decisions. Would she? Could she? Things were grey and more real for that. I enjoyed the angst of this mature woman still struggling with the scars of her youth and trying to control her world. Her way is not all smooth, but as well as Sarah's leaps of faith and perseverance, there are a good crew of accompanying characters. I'm hoping to learn more about them in forthcoming books as, for some, their page time was a little slim for me, and they didn't leap into my mind fully formed like Sarah. The portal transition from Sydney to the mystical island of Algarth is really well done. Webster's world building has a deft touch that ensures the focus remains on the characters as they drive the story forward, but gives us enough to bring a strong sense of the beauty and heartbreak of troubled Algarth. I also enjoyed the cli-fi thread with the overlay of our own climate challenges which seeds some important messages for our future and those who wield the power to aid or stop action on climate change. Great conflict, characters and cli-fi. I'm looking forward to the next instalment. Let's meet again. Where magic happens. Australian Book Lovers acknowledges First Nations peoples and recognises their continuous connection to country, community and to culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and honour the sharing of traditional stories passed down through generations. 
We're committed to a safe and inclusive welcome for authors and readers of all cultures and backgrounds, including people of LGBTQIA communities and their families.